Book Three, Chapter One of Clara Vaughan, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. Clara Vaughan, Volume Two by R. D. Blackmore. Book Three, Chapter One. In the morning, I dreamed of Isola. Across a broad black river, I saw her lovely smile thick fog rose from the water in which two swans were beating a dog and by snatches only could i see my darling she waved her little hand to me and begged me with that coaxing smile which bent cast iron and even gold to come across to isola in vain i looked for a boat even in my dream i knew that i could not swim and if i could the lead upon my eyelids would have sunk me so i called to her to come to me and with that cry awoke it was striking ten my own little clock which my father gave me i counted every stroke what was mrs shelfer doing that she had not called me yet what was i doing that i lay there so late for i always got up early and what was the sun about that no light came into the room i knew it was ten in the morning i felt all round i was in my little bed the splinter at the side of the headboard ran into my finger as usual there i was and nowhere else was it a tremendous fog if it was they should have told me for they knew that i liked fogs at least they thought so from the interest i felt I groped for the little bell-pole, a sleazy worsted cord which meant to break every time, but was not strong enough to do it. I jerked with all my strength, which seemed very little somehow. What a pleasure! The bell rang like a fire-peal. I fell back on the pillow, exhausted, but determined to have it out with Mrs. Shelfer. I put my hands up to arrange my hair, to look a little more like Clara Vaughan when the light should enter, and to frighten Mrs. Shelfer. There was something on my head. I never wear a nightcap. My long black hair would scorn it am i in a madhouse is this put to keep me cool cold it is and my brain so hot all wenham lake on dives and he will only hiss while i am pulling at it and find it streaming wet in comes i know her step mrs shelfer but there is no light from the passage mrs shelfer what do you mean by this by what my dear good soul i have done all the blessed things i was told to do for you you might have put an ostrich feather or a marabout to my mouth miss balance and tucked me up and a headstone and none the wiser when uncle john brought you home last night i suppose i am dreaming but i am sure i rang the bell miss balance you did so and no mistake bless me i started in my shoes a good job shelfer wasn't home he's so nervous he'd have gone for gin straightways now get up that's a good dear soul and when you have had some breakfast we'll talk over it miss balance let me see how your eyes are uncle john said that they was bad and i was to keep them covered i expects him here every minute now turn them up to the light what large eyes you have to be sure bless me where are your long black lashes mrs shelfer there is some strange mistake let the light into the room i had risen in the bed and her breath was on my forehead light dear child i can't let more the sun is on your face i fell back upon my pillow and could rise no more the truth had been tingling through me all the time she talked i was stone blind i flung the bandage from me and wished my heart would break mrs shelfer tried some comfort she seemed to grieve for my eyelashes more than for my eyes and addressed her comfort more to my looks than sight of course i did not listen when would the creature be gone and let me try to think poor little thing i was very sorry what fault of it was hers who and what am i blind i to find fault with any one who means me well i drop my eyelids i can feel them fall i lift them i can feel them rise a full gaze a side gaze a half gaze with both eyes with one it is all the same gaze there may be but no sight henceforth i want no eyelids the sun is on my face i can feel his winter rays though my cheeks are wet what use is he to me 
I have the dagger somewhere by which my father died. Let me find it if I can. I could have sworn that the box was in that corner carefully concealed. I strike against a washing-stand. Ah, now I have it. The box is locked. My keys are in the top drawer. I bear the box to the bed and go groping for the chest of drawers. Already I can tell by the sun-warmth on my face which way I am going. Surely if I wait I will have the instinct of the blind. What care I for that? The coward love of life suggested that poor solace. Now I have the keys. Quick, unlock the box. At length I throw the cover back. The weapon handle is to the right. I stoop to seize it. I grasp a square of color. Pretty instinct, this. I have got my largest drawing-box. Oh, paints, my paints, so loved but yesterday, that ape the colors I shall never see. My hot tears make you water-colors indeed. If God has robbed my eyes of sight, he has not dried my tears. The gushing flood relieves me. What right have I to die? even without asking if my case be hopeless. Who knows but what these lovely tints may glow for me again? May I not once more intone the carmine damask of the rose, the gauzy green of April's scarf? Softening scenes before me rise. I lay my box of colors by, and creep into my bed for warmth. Presently the doctor comes. Inspector Cutting has chosen him, and chosen well. From his voice I know that he is a gentleman. From his words and touch instinctively I feel that he understands the case. When he has finished the examination, he sees me trembling for the answer which I dare not seek. Young lady, I have hopes, strong hopes. It is quite impossible to say what course the inflammation may pursue. All depends on that. At present there is a film over the membrane, but the cornea is uninjured. Perfect quiet, composure, so far as in such a case is possible. Cold applications and the exclusion of light are the simple remedies. All the rest must be left to nature. Avoid excitement of any kind. Diet as low as possible. Do not admit your dearest friends unless they will keep perfect silence. Even so, they are better away unless you pine at loneliness. Oh, no, I am quite accustomed to that. That is well. I shall make a point of calling daily, but shall not examine your eyes every time. The excitement and the effort would strain the optic nerve. Our object is to keep the inflammation from striking inwards. I should not tell you all this, but I see that you have much self-command. On that and your constitution, under Providence, the cure depends. One question. I am not a professed ophthalmist. Would you prefer to have one? Oblige me with your opinion. It is a delicate point for me. There is no operation to perform. It is a medical, not a surgical, case. I have dealt with such before. Were you my own child, I would call in no ophthalmist. But as you are a stranger to me, I wish you to decide for yourself. Then I will have none. I have perfect confidence in you. He seemed gratified, and took his leave. Please God, Miss Valance, you shall look me in the face ere long. End of Book 3, Chapter 1